Good morning, Crosswinds. That's a powerful video, isn't it? It's the first time I actually saw it as I stand up here this morning, and I'm so grateful to be able to be with you here this morning to start our Easter series, Risen. Um, what a great uh, time of year. What a great season that we are coming into. And as you know, today is Palm Sunday, and we celebrate Palm Sunday here with you this morning as well. I, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Betty, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff, if you don't know who I am. But I wanted to share with you, if you're unfamiliar with the tradition, the church tradition of Palm Sunday, actually the week before Easter, and it kind of signifies and starts the Holy Week, which is a string of about eight days of um, different events that had happened as Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so we celebrate the beginning of that on Palm Sunday. And I love the way that um, we started this morning, the way that was prayed that it is a celebration. As we think of what is to come, but we are reminded of the end of, of that we have victory in the end. And so the, the word palm is used because it's synonymous with the palms that were used in the actual event. So Palm Sunday, again, in particular, celebrates that specific day that Jesus made his way into Jerusalem. And what I love about this is it's the first time that Jesus really allowed a public celebration or acclamation of his ministry, of his coming in. People were bold as they shouted their praises to him. And that's the first time in his ministry here on earth that he allows such a public presentation. So what we're going to do this morning is take a look at that historical event, and we're going to consider a few of the details that happened on that particular day, because I think we can easily overlook the details, can't we, sometimes in our life. We're always looking for the bigger picture, but those details are important, and they are important in this story as well. They are meaningful, and so digging in, taking an intentional look at those things will help us better understand the significance of this particular day in history and the significance of this particular day in our lives, um, even right here today. So, as I said, we need to be honest. Unfortunately, many times we missed important details for our quest of the end goal or of that big picture. And I can find myself so surrounded sometimes in my own wrong thinking or my own agenda that I will miss the details as well. And they're important. So I want to share a story with you. I used to have the opportunity to travel for a local company. Some of you may know that. Well, my boss was a pilot. And so my colleagues and I would often get into that little personal six-seater Cessna plane, and we would travel around in some of the more local locations, New York City and some other areas. Now, I remember one such trip, and we were on our way back from that trip when the weather took a turn for the worse. It was definitely unsettling to me. All I can remember is looking out, and if you've ever been in a smaller plane, looking out that big, huge windshield in front of you, because that's all you can see is this huge windshield in front of you. And I saw dark clouds looming up ahead. It was getting bumpy. And again, I don't exaggerate when I tell you I was terrified. Well, we ended up having to land, make a short little stop in Binghamton to wait out the storm. And I will never forget as well the relief I felt when we hit the ground, when those wheels hit the ground. Um, I felt at peace as I walked across the tarmac to the waiting area in the airport. And we waited about an hour in the airport before we prepared to get back into that little plane and make our way back home, right? 
Well, that did not seem long enough of a wait for me. I would have been happy to get a hotel and stay the night and leave the next day, drive, you know. I safely had watched that storm pass from the airport. I was sitting in a safe place, warm, watching it. But I could still see the black clouds. I could still see the storm and hear the rumbling thunder in the distance. And so again, I got out of that airport and I began to walk on that tarmac and this time to make my way back out to the plane. And if you've ever flown into a smaller plane, I remember literally opening up the door, because that's what you did, host, hoisting myself up into the seat, putting my seatbelt on, putting the headphones on my ears. I was able to hear everything that was going on and preparing myself as we waited for our turn on the runway. And we waited and we waited. And I thought, that's terrifying <laughs> as you sit there and you just wait and you think about what is up ahead. We were preparing to head back into the air. And again, what was my focus? The storm. That was my end goal. I thought that's what I was concerned about. And I was terrified. I'll share the end of that story in just a little bit. But I was making a judgment call on what I thought I understood. Not about the facts, but on what I thought I understood. And we do that way too often in our lives. We judge on what we think and what we see and see and what we hear and what we perceive to be the truth. And slowly without even knowing it, we begin to close our minds to what is really happening. And the truth just gets harder and harder for us to see, and it leads us to a bunch of different wrong conclusions, right? We take these things that we see in our mind and we add all kinds of things to it and we come up with the wrong conclusion. And so it's in these times of confusion that we find ourselves in need of a wake-up call, right? I was in need of a wake-up call that day. And that's the title of the sermon this morning because we see some of that confusion as Jesus enters Jerusalem on that first day of Holy Week. So we're going to go ahead and take a look back at that day and see if we can help to understand and clarify some of that confusion. So this event is recorded in each of the Gospels, and we're going to go back and forth between them just a little bit, but I'm going to mainly focus on the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19. So if you want to meet me there, that's where we'll focus most of our time this morning. And as we come to this account, we find ourselves with Jesus as he begins this last week of ministry here on earth. And in hindsight, right, we have the benefit of being able to look back. And we can consider today, we can consider all the things that he taught, all the things that he said, all the things that he accomplished as he led up to this moment and as it would lead up to the week ahead. Jesus had healed. He had forgiven. He had transformed people's lives. He had celebrated and mourned and he had worked and he had rested with his disciples. So essentially, he had lived life with the people he loved so dearly. And now Jesus would begin that long walk to give his life for them. But would they or could they even hear it? Could they even understand what he was trying to tell them? Or would the people make a quick judgment without true understanding? I mean, he had taught them all along, right? But were they listening? Were they hearing what he said? So speaking of Jesus, we're going to start in Luke chapter 19 at verse 28, and the words will also be up on the screen. 
And when he, again Jesus, when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the moment at the mount that is called Olives, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. Now this account in the book of Matthew includes a few more details. Let me share them with you. The disciples would request both a donkey and a colt. And once the owners learned that the animals would be needed by who? Their Lord. Matthew says they would send them at once. They would send them at once. The Lord needs it. Nothing more needs to be said to those owners, right? What was theirs is his. No persuasive speech or arguments are mentioned. There was no need to barter with them or overcome their doubt. They gave freely and they gave obediently, knowing there must be a greater purpose at hand. They trusted. And I also have to wonder if they were just a little bit humbled that Jesus would come to them for use of their animal. Did they consider it an honor? And I'll tell you, when I thought about that, it began to challenge me. Because when the Lord asks me for something, do I consider it an honor to give? Or do I consider it a burden to give? Do I want to know why and when and where and answer, have all the questions answered for me? Or do I give obediently and freely? What if it doesn't fit my plan? Do I still give obediently and freely? Well, I have no doubt that those who gave willingly were blessed. And I have no doubt that God would provide for them in the future, even if they never got the animals back. We don't know if they did. I'm assuming they did, but we don't know. Those animals seemed trivial, right? In the whole scheme of the story, a small detail. So why do I even take a minute to focus here? Because it was an important part to the story, and it teaches us a great lesson even today. Again, if I look at Matthew in chapter 21, verses 4 and 5, he includes the why, if you will, that the donkey or the animals were important in this story. Because this is what it says, starting in verse 4. It says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. That detail is important because it was foretold. So Jesus riding in on a donkey was proclaiming a specific message to those with ears to hear. He was not coming to bring a military victory. That donkey he rode on was an animal that signified peace, not war. So this even kind of insignificant, seemingly insignificant aspect of this story is included in all of the Gospels. Why? Because it fulfilled prophecy as was foretold by those prophets of old. Because it reflected humility and the actual purpose of what was going to take place. A king riding not on a grand stallion, but on a work animal into his people. And it required obedience. 
Because imagine what those disciples thought when Jesus said, just tell the animal the, or just tell the owners the animal is needed for the Lord. I have to wonder, some of those disciples can be a little bit like me. Did they wonder, is this really going to work? I wonder if they made alternate plans to get the animals just in case. I wonder if they took money with them in case they would have to barter for the animals. But there wasn't any need to do that. The owners just gave. They simply gave. Why? Because the owner's obedience was characterized in their faith in Jesus, their Lord. Which leads me to my first point in this story. Faith without obedience is self-contradictory. Faith without obedience is self-contradictory. Obedience in the face of the unknown is a very hard road to travel, and we've all traveled it at one time in our life. But that's the best definition of faith, isn't it? When times are tough, we must learn to lean on a power that is greater than ourselves. We must learn to lean on the power of God in our lives and in our circumstances. I love what Oswald Chambers says about this. He says, faith never knows where it is being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. It doesn't know where it's going, but I love and know the one who is leading me. And the difference is that it's our faith in Jesus that gives us that strength and that boldness. He is the one who is leading, and it gives us the courage and the insight to obey the things he's asked us to do. So we continue in our story. Now we're in verse 36 in Luke chapter 19. It says, as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. And in the other gospels, we again see some more details. They're shouting Hosanna and they're laying palm branches down. And these things that they're doing are very, very, very intentional cultural references here. We may not understand why they do some of it today, but they did back then. And they were used to express emotions and expectations of all those who were present, all those who were watching what was going on. The spreading of the garments was recognized as an act of homage to a king meaning they looked to Jesus as their king. The spreading of the palm branches symbolized triumph, meaning they expected victory. The word Hosanna originated from the word save, expressing gratitude for their salvation. Finally, maybe they thought a rescuer had come for them. So the language that they used here reflect the importance of this pivotal moment in history as the long-awaited savior and king would make his way into Jerusalem, and maybe would even make his way into their hearts of those people gathered as he made his way into their, into their place, into their space. So I think we can all agree that when Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, all the city was moved, right? And it was evident that something extraordinary was taking place right in their midst, something that they had been waiting for and they had been expecting, And from their shouts, we know that many of them were moved with joy as they anticipated these great things and as they eagerly awaited the redemption of Israel, God's chosen people. We would finally be redeemed, I imagine, they thought. But then we have to look around because others were moved in a different way. 
Their hearts were touched with a very different emotion, one heavy laden with fear and envy, maybe at what they would lose if this king came into their midst. Listen to Luke 19. Again, we're at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. No joy here in those who are asking for a rebuke, right? Maybe there's anger and resentment, but again, probably fear at what they did not know was going to take place in their lives. How would it change their status? How would it change what they could and couldn't do? One commentator described it, this emotional energy very simply. And simple words, but I love how he said it. He said, so various are the motions in the minds of men upon the approach of Christ's kingdom. So various are the motions, because some celebrated and some rebuked. And isn't that still true today? As we consider the various motions of our own faith, of my own faith today, But we have to go back and be grateful that the fluctuations in our faith don't change the truth or the love of God because he is eternal, he is never changing, and he is always present with us. That's why we celebrate, right? So looking back, we know that Jesus deserved that triumphal entry as king. And in hindsight, we also know that every step that he took drew him closer and closer to his rejection and to our victory because of it. Many in the crowd were caught up in the moment. And so I imagine the truth was getting harder and harder for them to see, for them to perceive. They were saying all of the right things, but they had the wrong motive. They had the wrong agenda in mind as they said them. They were only think about conquering the enemy in front of them. That was their thought. That was their goal. So many were seeing the procession as they shouted for Jesus, the warrior. But they were not perceiving the truth of what was really taking place, of what Jesus had tried to tell him, to tell them while he was here on earth, what the prophets had already foretold, what they had probably read. Jesus was coming to die in their place as their savior. I think it's reminiscent of Jesus' words. He quotes this from the prophet Isaiah when he says, they may indeed see, but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And unfortunately, in my life and in the lives of many, right, maybe we haven't changed so much through the years because those people were hard to hear in the days that Jesus walked the earth. And dare I say, sometimes I can still be hard to hear today. Sometimes I can still be hard to hear today. It's why we are reminded again and again by Jesus when he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a wake-up call to us today, right? Jesus is still telling us, listen up, pay attention. There's so much good news I want to share with you. Open your ears to go beyond the shouts of the crowd, beyond what you're in the midst of right now. Open your heart to hear the truth of what is really going on here because that truth is so much greater than we can ever begin to perceive. Imagine, I think, if we just allowed ourselves to perceive a glimpse of that truth in the midst of the storm, 
in the midst of our struggle today. Yes, Jesus is a warrior, one like we have never been able to witness, never will witness again. But this day, he would not carry a sword to win the battle. He would instead be giving his life so that we could have victory. Those shouts of praise just a few days earlier would soon be drowned out by accusations and by taunts. So which is it? That question is relevant for us to consider today in everything that we do. Which is it? What are the motions of our faith? What are the motions of my faith? And is it leading me to the truth? So back to my story that I shared with you. I remember again when we finally got up in the air on that stormy afternoon. Again, let me just remind you, I was terrified. Again, because all I could see through that big, huge windshield were the storms. I even, as I listened in the headphones, heard one pilot say, I'm turning around and I'm landing. And I thought, why are we still in the air if they are landing, right? My mind went in many different directions. And then we turned. The runway called for us to take off in one direction. Those of you who fly will understand this much better than I. The runway call, or the, they had called for us to take off in one direction, but once we were up in the air and in the right space, we just turned. And we flew in the opposite direction. Honestly, it was like night and day. The sky was brighter, the clouds were behind us, and the rest of the ride home was smooth, and it was beautiful ride home because the storm had just passed. It's beautiful. Um, in, that, uh, in that space. And I will never forget when we flew over the Finger Lakes. So at one point, um, I could see as we were flying, all, almost all of those lakes at one time, we were flying over and we would see one and then we would come and we would see the hills and we would see the next one. Truly, it was absolutely beautiful. The colors were beautiful. I could see the fingers in the air, if you will. And so I found a photo. This is by a man named Johnsis, or John Francis McCarthy. And we'll have it up there. Isn't that beautiful? That is what it felt like. And he called this photo Five Lakes Sunset. Amazing and beautiful. And this is what he said. As he captured this image, he called it a gift from God. I agree. It is beautiful. And it certainly showed me a different direction as we came back down. And as we came back down, home and safe. We were safe. Again, I was terrified, but we were not headed in the direction that I thought we were headed in. We were going in an entirely different direction, one that would bring me home safely. I think about the crowds that formed around Jesus on that day when he rode into Jerusalem. The crowd shouted for a king, but they didn't yet know what they asked. For how could they even begin to grasp that their Lord and King was coming to die for them, to offer them a safe passage home? A love that goes beyond what we can fully comprehend and understand. And as I think about the breadth of that view from the air over the Finger Lakes, so appropriately named, appropriately named a gift from God, I am reminded of the love and the breadth of that love that comes from God to each and every one of us. And so Paul knew that love, and he desired his readers to know it as well as he shares this in Ephesians 3, 16 to 19. It will be a very familiar verse to some of you. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, 
may have power together with all Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's why we celebrate. That's why it's an exciting day. And we celebrate what was about to take place. A love so wide and high and deep. A love that is a gift from our King, our Lord, and our Savior, Jesus. We turn back to finish the story in Luke now. We're at verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you even, that you even you had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So as Jesus entered the city in the midst of rejoicing, he wept. That is a powerful statement, isn't it? Maybe he wept because looking back, he saw how the nation had missed the time of their visitation, ignorant to their promised Savior that was at hand and right among them. Maybe he wept because looking within, he saw spiritual blindness and ignorance in the heart of the people. The people that God had prepared the way for, but they were not seeing or perceiving. Maybe he wept because as he looked around, he saw a lot of religious activity taking place, but not a heart for God on this Passover. Maybe he wept because looking ahead, he saw the destruction to come. And I have to believe that maybe he wept because that long, wide, high, and deep love simply brought tears to his eyes. He loves so well. I heard a quote recently from a Christian musician. And if you've been walking in any of my circles lately, I have said it again and again and again because it, 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 it just uh, hit me. It hit me right at the core. This is, what, this is what he said. He said, you know, I've always believed in Jesus. He said, but everything changed when I realized Jesus believed in me. It changed. And this is where I have to go when I begin to doubt. Jesus believes in me. And this is where I have to go when I recognize the road ahead requires more than I could even possibly imagine being able to give. He believes in me, and he believes in you. Jesus rode into Jerusalem in his rightful place as king on that Palm Sunday. So may we recognize the significance of that in our lives today. May we wake up to the promises and the love that he has given to us. May we rise to that good news and may we celebrate the truth today. That triumphal entry was another step toward our redemption. Every step toward that cross was intentional and every lesson that Jesus shared with us was interweaved with his personal love for each and every one of us. So how do we apply this? How do we celebrate? How do we begin to recognize this? We are all ordinary people who can do extraordinary things. We have to understand that because he believes in you. One step at a time, we will accomplish these things because of our Lord and Savior, which brings me to my main point today, and it's found in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I, Jesus says, came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
we must consider then what does that abundant life look like? What does it have in store for us? It's a gift from God. What will we do with it even today? Well, let me share with you a little bit of how I feel I have tried to apply this abundant life to me in my own life. If I look in the past, I viewed my future through the eyes of doubt, holding back from any new or different experience, afraid of things, not to step outside my comfort zone. Today, I try to view it through the eyes of faith, which can catapult me to step right outside my comfort zone and into God's grace, believing in him and his direction for my life and experiencing a belonging in his family that I could never experience, even in my own family, because it's greater. In the past, I viewed my future through the eyes of pride, leaving me afraid to try for fear of making a mistake. Have you ever been there? Because that would be like I'm a failure. Today, I try to view it through the eyes of humility, giving me room to fail. It's okay. And to change and to grow and to become who God created me to be. In the past, I have viewed my future through the eyes of self-made limitations, that ceiling that I put on my own life, leaving me always short of what was completely possible. But today, I try to view it through the eyes of Jesus, eyes that direct me to love, to seek truth, to reflect humility, to remain obedient, to grow in my faith, and to live up to his potential for my life, not my limitations. Victory. The true victory is taking shape even on that Palm Sunday. Acknowledging that Jesus didn't carry a sword that day, that he rode in Jerusalem rather to give his life. God's eternal truth should now then direct our attitudes, our goals, our perceptions, our motions of our faith. In closing, We ask each other. We need to be challenged. What is the wake-up call that is taking place in your life? What is it that God is showing to you that he wants to accomplish in and through you as he took the sacrifice so that you could have victory? The abundant life is available to each and every one of us. Don't let the enemy tell you different. The abundant life is found in knowing Jesus. It is found in understanding and accepting our felt, my felt, your felt need for him in your life. One more quote this morning from Henry Blackaby. This is what he says. He says, God's commands are designed to guide you to life's very best. You will not obey him if you do not believe him and trust him. You cannot believe him if you do not love him. And you cannot love him unless you know him. And so if you're here present with us this morning, watching online or watching on our campus here, we have to ask you that question. What's your wake-up call? Is it to accept him? Is it to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? To take that step of faith and to journey with him on a whole new life, not with your limitations, but the ceiling is lifted with the potential that he provides in each and every one of us. Someday every knee will bow. We sang that this morning. Every knee will bow before him. Will that be yours? And so as we come to this time, I pray that if you have not accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that you would consider that. We have something called a yes box that we want to give you if if that is you. 
I'm going to pray for us right now, and we'll close the service um, as we move our way into uh, taking communion and celebrating the Lord's Supper together this morning. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, I thank you so much for the blessings that you have provided, for the abundant life that you freely offer, a gift, Lord, a gift that you give to each and every one of us that can be used in just the way that you created us, individually, uh, but with the same goal in mind, and that would be you, Lord, to know you, to love you, and to share that love that you give to us with those around us, Lord. On this Palm Sunday, as you walked in triumphant in what you would accomplish, Lord, May we open our eyes to see all the things that you have for us, Lord. May we be obedient. May we grow deeper in a relationship with you. May we not be stuck in the chaos that's around us, Lord, but see the bigger truth at hand. Thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to carry us along that path when we need it, to walk beside us in everything that we do and to lead us to greater things. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we lift all of this up to you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.